I think that's their first time singing in church. They did a great job. They're going to have to come up more often. Brother Martin, why don't you come on up? We are excited to have Brother Martin. Brother Martin has been with us every year. In fact, he's the one that christened the building. Our first service in this new auditorium was two years ago on a Thursday night. And uh, we didn't know when we were going we to come in. We had to wait for the inspection uh, to take place. It just so happens we got the approval right before that Thursday. And we were able to have service with Brother Martin. And so it's been a great friend, and we're so glad to have him. And uh, let's give him a listen, and let's give him a warm Pacific Baptist welcome. Man, thank you. I appreciate that. And, uh, boy, it's good to be with you all. I don't appreciate the weather, but it's been good to be with you all. Uh, I, I left Michigan to get away from this kind of, you know, cooler stuff. So, um, but anyway, it's, it's good to be here. Uh, man, what a good, good job on that song, man. Almost got me crying down there in the front row. And, um, but, uh, you know, sitting and watching Mama tear up and cry as her little girl sang. And uh, how precious our families are. I'm going to preach on something tonight that hopefully will challenge you about that. And about what we're doing to try to help them or not try to help them. Amen. I just want to say, uh, again, my wife sends her love and regards. Um, she hated missing it, but she had total knee replacement surgery on her left knee. And so she could not fly for five hours straight without uh, propping her leg up and all that. So uh, she sends her love and uh, misses you all. And hopefully, prayerfully, next year she'll be back. Amen. Amen. And, uh, but it's good to be with you tonight. I know we uh, don't have a lot of time tonight, but I want to get a, a, something across to you, a challenge. We, we desperately need revival. Yeah. I mean, I... I how do we even dare begin to say that our country needs revival? I mean, we, we, we know that that's just way beyond even words that we can speak. But I'm going to tell you, we need a revival in the church today, too. We need a personal revival in our own lives today. We need God to do something to wake us up. We're spiraling rapidly. If you traveled with me and... The 70 plus churches a year that I'm in, and uh, you'd see what I mean. We're in desperate need. I want to preach for a little bit this evening on a very famous man in Scripture, a man that all of us know. And when I mention his name, you're going to think something very negative right off the bat because that's what we always do. You say, Who is it? I'm going to talk just for a little bit about Lot tonight. I want you to grab your Bible and turn to uh, Genesis chapter. just turn to chapter number 13. If we begin in the, in the first mention of Lot, we find him in Genesis chapter 11 and verse 27 in the, the lineage there. Uh, he is Abraham, uh, Abram's nephew. He's uh, Haran's son. That's Abram's brother. In Genesis chapter 12 and verse 4, uh, when God calls Abram out, we see that Lot goes with him toward Canaan and uh, then on down into Egypt. Now, that was a bad mistake for Abram when he did that, but Lot was with him there. By chapter 13, uh, they're coming back to Egypt, and we see that their, their substance was so great that they could not dwell together. 
And that's where we'll pick it up here for just a few verses here. In verse number eight, it says, And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest to Zohar. And then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. And Abram dwelled in the uh, land of, the Can- of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. It tells us that when he had an opportunity to make a choice here, Lot just looked up with his eyes and said, man, that looks real good. I think I will go that direction over there. Man, that plane looks great. Uh, he nestled himself up in the plane there close to this wicked city called Sodom. If we continue to follow him on down through, you'll find out in chapter 14, just one chapter later, he's already living in Sodom. And then what happens is that Abram has to go and rescue him because they're taken captive. And, and uh, it amazes me that uh, uh, when Abram rescues him, he turns around and goes right back to Sodom. And um, what in the world is happening to Lot? Four chapters later in Genesis chapter 18, God tells Abram uh, through some angels that he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah for its wickedness. And Abraham pleads for God to spare it. If there would be, if there would be 50 righteous, if there would be 40 righteous, if there'd be 30 righteous, if there'd be 20 righteous, and Lord, if, if you just spare it for the sake of 10 righteous people. However, God ends up having to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot gets out by the skin of his teeth. When we think about Lot, all of us, we think negatively. But I want to remind you what it says back in 2 Peter chapter 2. Just flip over there for a second. We're going to come back uh, to uh, Genesis here in a second. But in 2 Peter chapter 2, I want you to notice what it says here in verse number... I'm not going to read down. We could read down through the whole chapter. But just look at verse... Uh, seven here. <clears throat> well, verse six says, turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after uh, should live go- ungodly, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. So I want you to stop and think about this a minute. The scriptures tell us that Lot was a just man. It tells us that he was a righteous man. But it tells us that he was vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. What does that word vexed there mean? Uh, That word vexed means to tire. It means to wear down. It means to afflict. It means to oppress. So it says that Lot because of the filthy conversation of the wicked, was worn down. He was tired. He was oppressed. 
The second time it uses that word vexed in the same verse there, it, it says it vexed his righteous soul from day to day. The second word for vex is a different Greek word, and it means this. It means to pain or torment or to toss. So he was worn down and he was pained by the living of these evil, wicked people that he was around. His life had, uh, by Genesis chapter 19, we, we wouldn't have believed that Lot was a righteous man. His life was so different. His life had changed so much. His life had become a life of compromise. And can I say, not a lot different than a whole lot of God's people today. Our life has become a life of compromise. I'm not trying to be mean by saying that. What I'm saying is the same things that happened a lot are the same things that's happening to us. I mean, in, in every day of our life, we're being, if, if you're trying to live for God in any way, shape, or form, you're being vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked and that oppression is, is greater and greater and greater every day as we go through these days of our life. We are no more than in America a modern Sodom and Gomorrah. We have to be honest. And Christians, the just, the righteous, again, are vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. What happened to Lot is the same thing that's happened to us today. And this is what I want to speak about for just a few moments. How did Lot end up right there? How, how did, I mean, the, he was vexed with it, but how did he end up in the place that he ended up in Genesis chapter 19? One word. And it's the same thing that's happening to us today. He became desensitized. He became desensitized. And I'm going to tell you why God's people today have become very desensitized to the wickedness of this world because of the filthy conversation that we've had to live in and around. The title of the little thought here is simply tonight, I ask you to challenge yourself. Have you been desensitized? Are you living a desensitized life where you are not sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God and you're not sensitive to how wicked this world really is? God help us. Father, I pray you bless the next few moments we spend together. Please speak to us through the power and the truth of your word. Challenge our hearts tonight. Help us to be honest with you, Lord. Uh, you know that when I sit in services where I get to be preached to, Lord, I, I, I want you to change me. I want you to make me what you want me to be. Father, please help us to be open and tender to you tonight. Help us to be honest enough to admit if we become desensitized and maybe make some decisions to try to get things back on track in our life. We'll be careful to give you the glory for what you do, for it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. The word desensitized, if you look it up in the dictionary, it'll say, having been made less sensitive. So less sensitive to how wicked everything is around us, or less sensitive to the Holy Spirit trying to speak to us. Uh, how can I tell if I've been desensitized? Well, let's just look at what happened a lot, and let's ask us our own selves these questions if this is happening in our life. Genesis chapter 19, if you'll flip there, uh, this is where we see uh, the, the downfall as those angels came to uh, uh, Sodom and to, uh, 
to try to uh, help Lot to be able to see his life spared. And uh, we'll begin to read the first, uh, first thing here in, in chapter 19, verse 1. It says, there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. And Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them. And he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, behold, now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house and uh, tarry all night and wash your feet and you shall rise up early and go on your ways. And, and they said, nay, but we will abide in the street all night. And he pressed upon them greatly and they turned in unto him and entered into his house and he made them a feast and did bake unleavened bread and they did eat. Now verse four says, but before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, I mean, God's making it as clear as he can. We're talking about Sodomites here. He says, compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. Let me just tell you something. I'm being as discreet as I can. It wasn't that they just wanted to get to know them. They were men of the city. They were sodomites. They wanted to know them in a different way. This evil wickedness that was in their hearts and in their minds. And notice what it goes on to say. And Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after him. Notice carefully what it says in verse 7. And said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Wow. Lot, a just man, a righteous man. These men of the city, of this evil city, these sodomite men, they want to have those men come to know them. Lot steps out the door and he says to them, I pray you, brethren. Really? Calling those people brethren? What are you saying, Brother Martin? The first thing when we become desensitized from the life of Lot here, we compromise on our stand for separation. If you're calling them brethren, there's not a separation between you and them. Amen. Listen, I'm not, I'm not talking about being evil. I'm just talking about there's separation that's supposed to take place in our lives as children of God. We're supposed to be separated under the Lord. How can we get to the, how could Lot get to the place to to call these people brothers? Easy. He gave up on his stand for separation. I'm going to tell you, we'll get to it in just a moment here, but it's deeper than just this hard thing that I'm saying right here. Just think about the passages of scripture that God gives us, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and uh, verse number uh, 14 to 18. Listen to what the words of God say here. It says, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them, and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate 
spirit, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. God says, I want you to separate. Hey, from Genesis to Revelation, God emphasizes separation. We're supposed to be separate from the people of this world. We're not supposed to yoke up and fellowship with the people of this world. It's very obvious that uh, Lot had lost that in his life, and he had compromised on his stand of separation. Yep. Now, I'm going to tell you what, the same thing's happening in our lives, too. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5, I think about this. In uh, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 8, it says, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. That's some pretty strong words from God about how we're to be separated from this world. We're not supposed to fellowship with it. We're not supposed to yoke up with it. What in the world happened in Lot's life? He became desensitized to how wicked it really was. There's a lot of God's people becoming desensitized to how wicked the world is that we're living in today. Can I ask you, have you compromised your stand on separation tonight? Let me just ask a couple questions. Be honest tonight. Where do you allow yourself to go that you would never have dreamed of a few years ago? What do you allow yourself to do today that you would have never thought about doing a few years ago? Okay, where the rubber meets the road. What do you allow yourself to watch that you used to call out and you used to say that's wicked and evil and we're not going to do that. I knew it'd get real quiet because this is something that we're all struggling and battling with. We're vexed day by day with the filthy conversation of the wicked, but we don't have to give in to it. Amen. We need to stand as God's people tonight. We need to be what God wants us to be. We don't need to compromise on separation. We need to stand on separation. Amen. Hey, think about this. Uh, um, you remember when that you used to turn the commercials off? You used to turn the commercials down because you weren't going to listen to that during the, the television shows that you're watching everything. What's happened? You know... Uh, there was a day when there was no question about where we stood on homosexuality and abortion. Why? Because God's word says what's right and God's word says what's wrong. Now, because an ungodly society pressures us and says, you can't do that. That's treating people evil and wrong. That's treating people bad. No, wait a minute. That's just calling out what God says is right and what God says is wrong. Amen. And we don't need to be compromising on that. We need to be standing on that. Amen. Amen. And I'm going to tell you what, one of the reasons that we've got soft and one of the reasons is because we've become desensitized because maybe it's happened in our own families. And we want to be really careful about how we handle it. And let me tell you something, we need to be careful how we handle it. And we need to make sure that we love those people. But we have to stand on what's right and, what's, and stand against the things that are wrong without compromise. Amen. 
We need to be a separated people unto God. We need to be the salt and the light of the earth the way God called us to be. Amen. We have lost, we have so lost our edge today because of our compromise with the world. Who are you hanging out with? Call him brother. That you would have never dreamed about years ago. And I'm going to tell you why you better be careful. The non-denominational friendships water down our holiness. I'll say that again. Our non-denominational friendships water down our holiness. And we begin to listen to a group of people that doesn't believe in living holy. I told the college students today, I know that King James is real deep, but be ye holy for I am holy. That's pretty simple. We're supposed to be holy people unto God. Amen. We don't need to be compromising with things of the world. Be careful. First step that he took uh, when he became desensitized was the compromise of his stand on separation. The second one is this. If we go back to Genesis chapter 19 again, and you'll see here. It's a big one. That's why I said what I said just a moment ago. Verse 8 says, Behold, now I have two daughters. This is what he's telling those men, those sodomites. I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing. For therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. Are you kidding me? Not in a million lifetimes. Man, I have two daughters. Not in a million lifetimes. You're going to give your daughters over to evil, wicked men to abuse them and, and do wicked, filthy things? You're willing to just let go of them and give them up? I'm going to tell you the second thing we see in Lot's life that happened when he began uh, to become desensitized is he gave his children up to the world. Uh, you sitting here tonight, and I know you're saying, well, you know what, Brother Martin, that's one thing that I have not done. I have not given my children up to the Lord, uh, to the world. Really? Really? Can I ask you this question? What means more to you than your children? I say, what do you mean by that, Brother Martin? What means more to you than your children? their friendship <laughs> I hear this all the time preacher well you know I just don't want to be too hard on my kids because I want them to like me I, I, want, I want to make sure that I have a friendship with my children now, let me tell you something the most important thing is to make sure you've got the right relationship with your heavenly father oh, yeah. and that you're standing where you ought to be standing yeah. and that you're leading your children which don't belong to you, which belong to God, which are his heritage in the right direction so that he can bless your relationship with them. Amen. Amen. Uh, it, do you, do, does their, their friendship mean more to you than what happens to them? We let a lot of things happen in the guise of, I just want to be friends with him, and I just want to, boy, you better be careful. How much do you really truly love your children there? How much do they mean to you? Do, do, do your children mean more than their happiness? You say, what do you mean by that, Brother Martin? Oh, a lot of parents today, I just want my children to be happy. 
So I'm going to give them and do whatever I can for them just so that they can. You're just turning them over to the world by doing that. Amen. They don't understand what true happiness is at this point in time in their life. They need us who are their parents, who are just simply God's stewards over them to lead them in the way that God can take them and bless their lives and help their lives to count for God one day. Amen. We don't need to be turning them over to the world and giving them up to the world today. Amen. How much does your children mean to you? What means more to you, your children or or their desires? What they want in life? There was a day that we believed that we are the parents and they are the children and we guide and direct them the way that God shows us that we're supposed to. But now it's all muddled together because we want our children to love us and we want... Can I ask you, what do you let them wear? What do you let them watch? What do you let them do? Shows how much you love your children. Amen. Listen, if you guard them, they'll know you love them. I'll say that again. If you guard your children, they will know that you love them. When there's no reins and you allow them to do whatever they want to do, you're asking for heartache and trouble. Okay, here we go. You can start throwing things at me. I'm an old dinosaur, okay? I just believe this book. I believe what it says. Unmonitored social media and cell phones. Okay, I'm getting off. In God's name, why? Does a teenager need a cell phone? Y'all can get mad at me all you want to, but I'm going to tell you what. Our our children are being turned over to the world because we're giving them the devices and things in their lives that allow the world to get a hold of them. Hey, Brother Joseph asked me something today in college. He said, Brother Martin, how much do you think cell phones... How, how, how many problems do you think our teenagers and our young people today have due to cell phones? I said, and I will say again tonight, and I believe with all my heart, almost 100%. Almost 100% of the problems that your children have and the problems and the directions that they go are because we've equipped them with something that the world can get into their life and take control of their life. Amen. Social media? Are you kidding me? They say today that teenagers today spend as much as four to six hours a day on social media. Well, you know, my child needs a telephone. Why do they need a telephone? How old are you, Brother Meyer? You don't mind me asking. 60? You're younger than me. Did you make it through all those years without a cell phone until you got to be uh, 40 years of age? Or Did you have any problems? Ever have any situations where you just absolutely couldn't have lived without a cell phone? If I went through the crowd and asked you all the same question, you'd say the same thing. Charlie, how old are you? 40. You're 40, you old man. <laughs> Charlie, you didn't, have a, you didn't have a cell phone when you were a teenager, did you? 
That's a great thing. I tell you, for, for one thing, we, we shouldn't be equipping them with things like that just because of that alone. Amen. But the problem is, as soon as they get that, listen, as soon as they get that, the world gets them. Amen. Whether you want to believe it this way or not, you're turning them right over to the world. Let them have their cell phones. Let them have their social media accounts. Let them do all those things. And before you know it, their lives are a mess. Then you come running to preacher. Preacher, please help us. Man, our child, they've run off, or they're this and that and the other going on in their life, or they've messed their life up, or they're, well, why did you give them those things to begin with? Come on. Amen. Amen. Come on, old brother Ron Garris used to say, nod your little heads. You know what I'm talking about. Amen. I knew it'd get a little quieter in this part of the message. But we know it's the truth. We've become so desensitized by the world. Well, everybody has one. Well, our children should have them. And you don't even realize. I don't know if Lot even realized that he was getting to where he got to. You don't even realize that you're turning your children right over to the world. Oh, God, help us tonight. Amen. Number three, what happens when you become desensitized? In verse number 12, it says, And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides son-in-law, thy sons, and thy daughters, or whatsoever thou hast in the city? Bring them out. Of this place, for we will destroy this place because the cry of, uh, of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord. And uh, the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. It says, But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. Hmm. What are you talking about, Brother Martin? Well, obviously, Lot had no testimony with his sons-in-law. And obviously, Lot had not cared enough about their souls that he tried to do something through the years, back from the beginning. Because uh, if you stop and think about this for just a moment, if you study it out, you'll find out that Lot had four daughters. He had two daughters that were married. He had two daughters that were betrothed. When Abram prayed and cried unto God and said, just for ten righteous sake, he in his heart was believing that Lot and his wife and his four daughters and the four of them, that would have made the ten people that would have saved Sodom. But even they weren't saved. What are you saying? When we become desensitized, we get soft on or we lose our vision for souls. We get soft on and lose our vision for our own family members. Amen. How many of you have lost family members? You raise your hand. Lost family members. There's people all across this crowd. How many of you in your own family unit, you have lost family members? Raise your hands. That's a lot of hands across the crowd. Have you still got a burden and a passion to win them? Are you still hungry to try to see them get saved? Or have you give, come to the place in your life that you say, well, what's the use? You know what? Everybody else is just, you know, they're not going to listen to me. Everybody else doesn't care about it. And I'm going to tell you something. When, when we become desensitized, we get to the place in our life where we lose that vision and that hunger 
and that passion to see people saved. Can I tell you, there's a whole lot of churches in America today that have done that. Listen, I'm an evangelist traveling around the country. There's churches that I go to that good, good, independent, fundamental Baptist churches that no longer have soul-winning programs. Amen. How, how in God's name can we get to that place? There's only one way. We become desensitized. The commission is there. The command is there. God's given us his command and his commission about what we're supposed to do and about how we're supposed to uh, win the, uh, try our best to win the loss. And I'm talking to the college kids about that even this week and trying to encourage them. Come on. Let, let, just stop and think about your own personal life. Now listen, I thank God that I'm preaching in a church tonight that I know is a soul winning church. And you guys go out and I know you're faithful in me. But let me just ask you a few questions tonight to challenge yourself. To see if there's any desensitivity that's starting into your life even right now. Come on, you remember when you would always carry Bible tracts with you. And you would pass them out wherever you went. I mean at a gas station. You'd pass them out. You'd pass them out in the grocery store. You'd pass them out at a laundromat if you were there. You'd pass them out wherever you went to. You carried Bible tracts with you all the time. Because you knew how important it was to get the word of God out. Are you still doing it? Uh, you, you, you remember when you used to care about and witness to lost people even on a street corner. Yep. Or, or, or people, again, even, even a street person. You would do your best to try to witness to somebody. And now you do, we just walk right past them and we don't even care about them. God help us to get a hunger and a burden and a passion again for the lost. Amen. Not only did he lose that vision for that, but he lost his testimony too. Had no testimony with them. And by the way, I'm going to back up to make a statement. I, 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 I failed to make, a, there's a couple statements I want to make about you, about us and our children. Many of us have become criminally negligent of our children today. Yeah. God's heritage. Criminally negligent. Because we're allowing those things to happen. We oft times let cell phones and the internet parent our children. We don't have time to do it. Or we don't want to invest the time into it. It'll make it easier on me to be a parent if I just give them these things. I sat here and watched that sweet lady tear up and begin to cry as she seen, saw her children listen to her children sing. That ought to be the way we feel about our children. What are we doing with our children today? Last thing is simply this. When we become desensitized, Genesis chapter 19, it says verse 15, when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife, upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him. And they brought him forth and set him without the city. God says they're going to destroy the city. you got to get out of here. Let's go right now. Let's get out of here. And it says that Lot lingered. What, what does that mean to linger? It means to hesitate. It means to delay. It means to tarry or even stay. Yeah. 
So here's Lot, this just man, this righteous man that's been in and around these people for so long that his soul's been vexed and worn down and and tired and wore out. And, And now he's so caught up in the things that are going on, he's debating on whether to die with the city or leave the city. What, what are you saying, Brother Martin? When we become desensitized, we begin to linger on whether sin is more pleasurable than the consequences of it. Come on. Amen. Boy, how oftentimes we do that. Well, you know what? This sin is awful pleasurable. And we're so desensitized, we don't even stop to think about what the consequences are for it. He's about to lose his life. Seems to be the state of Christianity today. First Kings chapter 18 and verse 21. This is a powerful indictment back in Elijah's day. Remember Elijah and the prophets of Baal? Remember what happened there before, they, before the altar, uh, God came down and consumed the altar and all that? It says in verse 21 of First Kings chapter 18, Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the last part of the verse says, and the people answered him not a word. They didn't stand one way or the other. As I said, that's much of our Christianity today. We've become so desensitized that we don't take the stands that we used to take. We're not the salt of the earth the way God told us we're supposed to be. We're not the light of the world the way that we're supposed to be. We're losing our children. We're losing our families. And Why? Because we've become so desensitized because of the vexation of the wicked, ungodly, filthy world that we live in. What happens when you become desensitized? You don't even realize it or you refuse to admit it until it's too late. Man, we need revival today. Lot and Listen, Lot lost his wife because of his desensitivity. Lot lost his two daughters and two son-in-laws because of his desensitivity. Yeah. Lot lost his two betrothed son-in-laws. They stayed in the city. They were burned up in the city, the two betrothed son-in-laws. And Lot's daughters even committed incest with him yeah. after this story. Yeah. Why? It all goes back to becoming desensitized the world may be not as bad as what we think it is or we stop listening to the Holy Spirit that's trying to keep us on the right track this is a challenge for all of us tonight this is a challenge for this preacher tonight this is a challenge for your preacher tonight it's a challenge for every one of us that sit here tonight let's be honest with God have we become desensitized Father, I pray that you would take this simple little thought tonight and cause us to challenge our own hearts. And may we be honest before you tonight. Lord, I, I think of that sweet family that sang before the service, and I think of all the sweet families in this church. And Lord, you've given me the privilege to be able to come back year after year after year and watch them grow up and, and watch new families starting. And God, these families are so precious. Lord, may we never grow so cold and desensitized that we turn our children over to this wicked, vile, ungodly world. 
Father, would you help us be honest enough with you wherever it is you've spoken to us to, uh, tonight, would we deal with it, Lord, the way you'd have us to? Father, do the work only you can do during the altar time, and we'll be careful to give you the glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Let's stand to our feet with heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm not saying anything. If God spoke to your heart, the altar is open. Why don't you do business? Maybe you need, need to come to an altar with your children tonight. Oh, my goodness. Man, love on your children. Hug them. Say, oh, devil, you're not getting them. You are not getting my children. I'll die protecting these children. I'm not going to give in to this old world. God help us.